Good morning, Southbridge. That is Dan Ryan. He is our new youth pastor, so I want to welcome him and give him a Southbridge welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We are uh, glad to have you on our team, Dan, and I shared a, a few words about Dan in the first service, and I'll just tell you, Dan started attending our church about five years ago, moved here to Raleigh with his brother to start a college ministry and impacted people through that, and I remember when he first came to our church, people kept coming up to me and saying, have you met this Dan Ryan guy? So you meet different people, like when they're new and they come to church, and it's awesome, and if you have good people at your church, and obviously that impacts other people, but... It was like this repeated, almost annoying theme. I remember my wife coming home one day and be like, have you met this Dan Ryan guy? I'm like, gee, who is this Dan Ryan guy? And, uh, and uh, one of the things that was great about Dan, though, is his reputation really precedes him. And I remember talking to one friend uh, that you and I have mutual friends with, doesn't even go to our church, and he was just telling me about how, what an evangelist you are and how you're bringing people into your home and trying to lead them to Christ and how that's upped his desire to share Christ with more people. And I had a guy come to me yesterday, it was at my kid's piano recital, actually, and said, you know, I've had limited exposure to Dan Ryan, but what an amazing, though he's enriched my life, he's changed my life just being a around this person. And so um, we are blessed to have you. I'm not trying to make you all feel like super humbled before you say anything. Um, but I wanted to really give you an opportunity to say a few words to our church as a whole. Um, if you could maybe just tell us, um, now you're going to be in charge of SYU. That's 6th through 12th grade. Um, SYU's uh, initials that we use for Southbridge Youth United, our student ministry. And um, we love having you in charge of, of, the, of those young people and helping them grow in their relationship with Jesus. What are you most excited about, about SYU and how can we pray for you as a church? And sure. if you want to tell anybody anything else, too, tell them that. No, that's, that's plenty enough information. <laughs> um, so what I'm most excited about, kind of like I said in the video, um, really excited for just this opportunity to, to connect each student's heart to Jesus. And I think for me, growing up um, in middle school and high school in church, and uh, I, I think for me it's really, really important that, that their faith is their own, that yeah. it's not... You know, it's not yours, it's not mine, it's, it's not the parents. It's, it's something that I want them to, I want the, um, their own hearts to be connected. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm most excited about. I'm, I'm most excited about, you know, the individuals yeah. and, and their personal growth. Okay. Um, I think, you know, from there, as far as uh, what we can be praying as a church, praying for those students, there's so much distraction in their life. There's so much going on, um, you know, underneath the surface that... Uh, you know, it's just it's just so important that that their hearts be connected to um, to Christ. You know, and um, I'll teach right after this. I'll go over our middle schoolers are uh, are meeting during second service. So if you have students that are in middle school and you haven't checked it out, um, you can either follow me over there or, or check it out <laughs> next week. Uh, but we're gonna, you know, our our key text this morning is you know to love love the Lord your God with all your heart. Mm-hmm. You know and. I think that's so important. So if you guys can be praying for our students and as well as uh, our volunteers, our leaders who are pouring into their lives as well. And senior high meets? Senior high meets on Sunday evenings over at the church office. Okay, cool. Just so that we get a plug in for both that. We're talking about gifts today. Do you have all the leaders that you could possibly, fat, like you don't even know what to do with all the people that are volunteering and SYU or, or not? I mean, the, you guys just listening. He and I are just chat, chatting here. Sure. So go ahead. Um, we definitely... Uh, have some opportunities for for some more leaders. I think, I think, in connecting students, it it takes a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of relational Relation. time. Yeah. It's a lot of relational time. So we definitely have opportunities for uh, some more leaders to uh, come on board as well. Let me pray for you as you go teach. Let me pray for you and the students and the leaders, and I will pray for you as a church father. Uh, we just come before you right now. I pray for Dan and this role that he has uh, with the responsibilities um, that he has, um, shepherding the hearts of. These young people, 6th through 12th graders, and that's a lot of different people and a lot of different things that are going on in their hearts and their lives and their minds, um, temptations and struggles that are different even than when Dan or I were in junior high or senior high. And uh, I pray that you'd give him great discernment and great wisdom. I pray that they would see his love for your word, his love for you, and they'd be drawn to you and they'd have their own love for you and love for your word. And I pray for the leaders. You'd raise up exactly the right leaders to connect with the hearts and lives of the young people that are in there. Um, right now, I pray for Dan as he goes to teach that you'd anoint his lips. I pray as we open up your word as a church in a moment that you just speak to us and be present here with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our man. Love you. Thanks. All right. See you later, Dan. Now you can give him a hand again. Good man. And uh, by way of announcement, I'll just tell you a couple things that are else that are going on in our church. We're excited, obviously, to have Dan on board. And, and you look in your worship program, you'll see some other things that are taking place. We've got Group Expo next week and opportunities to serve that will be in the lobby for you this week. Uh, one of the things I wanted to tell you in announcement-wise uh, was this. 
that December was an incredible month financially uh, for our church. You guys gave so generously. I want to thank you. We'll give you a little update as well. Um, we've been doing a campaign. We call it the Whatever It Takes campaign. And it's, some people call it a building campaign because at the end we're going to build a building, but it's really about the vision, trying to connect as many people as possible to Jesus for life change. And so we're build the building as a tool, as a, a resource for that. And December was the biggest giving month we've had for whatever it takes since the Commitment Sunday. And so we had over $122,000 given specifically to that. Not just like general fund. The general fund was strong too. But uh, in just to the building campaign, the Whatever It Takes campaign, $122,000 given to that. And so I want to thank you for that and praise the Lord for that. We passed the $1.2 million mark. Um, for that campaign. I think the initial commitments were something like 1.7. And so I know some people are a little bit behind, but we've had other people that didn't even commit that have given money. And so maybe you're new to the church too and you want to give, we, we'll take it. So, but anyway, uh, we're, we're, we're blessed in that. If you want to be a part of that, you can be. That, that campaign ends in November. And so we're coming towards the end of that. And you may have seen in an email that went out a couple weeks ago, just some updates. And there's lots of updates about things that are happening uh, with building over on our property that we own on Glenwood Avenue. But I'll give you the, the gist of the, the biggest one is that it looks like we're going to be breaking ground this summer. So this summer, 2015, early in the summer. We don't know the exact date yet. As we get closer, I'm sure we will. And uh, we'll tell you that news as we have it. Um, but it looks like also from what we've been told is that we'll be able to move in about 12 months later. And so later in the summer of 2016, we'll be able to move from here at the theater, which has been awesome. Kind of. And uh, go over to, sorry, it's had little thoughts uh, popping, but we'll go over to our property on Glenwood Avenue. And so we praise the Lord for that, the way the balls are moving forward with some of those things. And I want to thank you uh, for your generosity in those, those things as well. And so thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And uh, God's going to use that. He uses all those things um, ultimately for his glory and for his kingdom to be uh, bigger and better in this city. And so today what we're going to do is continue in our uh, series that we started last week. We started a series last week called Making the Most Of. I'm talking about we're in this series, we're talking about making the most of life. So God's entrusted us with this life and all the things that are part of this life. And last week we talked about our time. So if you think about time, it's kind of like a framework for everything else. Because we've got a limited amount of time and everything else that happens, whether it's relationships or gifting or money or any of that stuff happens within the framework of time. And we talked about how last week we don't know how much time we have. We could die at any moment. Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. We don't know. But he's entrusted us with these different things to make the most of. And today we're going to talk about gifting. Do you think about gifting? Last month was Christmas. That's not a news flash for anybody, but if you think about what happened, it had to be, and I don't have any research on this, but it had to be the largest gift exchange ever in human history that took place just not too many days ago. I don't have the research, but I'm assuming probably more gifts were exchanged this year than there were the year before. And all these people from all over the world are exchanging gifts. Try and remember when you were a kid what it was like. Thinking about bringing a tree into your house and there's excitement. I know we're kind of at the depressing part of the year now where you're taking the tree down and the lights come down. Hopefully you're doing, be a good neighbor, like take your lights down eventually, um, all that stuff. But, and it's kind, of, it's kind of a bummer. It's like it's over. But, but remember when we were first bringing the tree out? What a weird tradition, by the way, bringing a tree inside your house. Another weird tradition is we put gifts under the tree and we give them to each other to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Isn't that kind of odd? But if you're a kid, you don't think about all that. You think, well, there's a tree, which means eventually there's going to be gifts. And the gifts being there means eventually you're going to get one of those gifts. Do you remember what that was like as a kid? The excitement and the anticipation of getting those gifts. And you probably did different things last month. Maybe some stuff that happens every year for your family. Uh, maybe you did office Christmas parties, different traditions that take place. One of the things that always happens in our family is we reminisce about different stories. One of the stories is one that my father-in-law tells every year at some point, or at least we make fun of him for the story because he tells it so often, is that uh, when my wife and her sisters were growing up, there was one Christmas, they didn't have very much money, and he talks about how he bought this ball for 25 cents for the oldest daughter, put it in a box, wrapped it up in Christmas paper, and she opened it up, took the ball out, and then played with the box the whole time. And the point is, she didn't even play with the gift. She just played with the box. And so he's trying, you know, Scott, it doesn't matter what toys you get the kids. They're just glad they got a toy and they'll play, they'll play with a box. He always says stuff like that. This year at our house, it was interesting. So Christmas morning comes. We've got four little girls, nine to three. And uh, they, come, they get up super early on Christmas Day. I don't know what the world is, ha- happens with that. I'm just as tired as I am any other day of the year. But they get up. And so we come out. We read Luke chapter 2. It's one of our Christmas traditions. It's a Christmas story. We pray together. My wife makes a special breakfast. And then we open up all these presents, right? And so if we're getting to the point where we've got all the presents opened up, papers flown everywhere. And have you opened some of those boxes, by the way, they put plastic stuff in? I don't know if Target thinks ninjas are breaking in to steal that stuff. 
But there's like combination, like you got to cut stuff and untwist stuff. And it's just, it's like, it's like that big. It's got to be worth about 10 cents. And they're strapped. Anyway, so I'm, all that's happened at our house. Like I've undone all the plastic gadgets, the ninja proof stuff. It's all laying, the gifts are out. Plastic toys are ready to be played with. And I had hung up a bag on a piece of furniture in our living room to pick up wrapping paper and throw all the trash into this bag. And I look over and my three-year-old daughter isn't playing with any of the plastic stuff we bought. They got gifts that have spent time getting out. We thought about you, put them there. And you're playing in the bag that was there for trash. I'm serious. I looked over. We got a picture. I know someday she's not going to believe it. But that, that bag, the Target bag, was hanging there so we could put all the trash in it. And she's in there playing peekaboo with the bag. She's hiding in the She's climbing in and out of the bag. And she's not even playing with the toy. Toys sitting all around. She's not playing with any of the toys, which is cute for a three-year-old. However... It illustrates a reality that takes place in churches all around the globe. Where the gift has been given to you. It's there, it's been prepared, and it's supposed to be used. But what many of us do is we go off and we do our own thing. So as you think about Christians all around the world that will sit in churches today. All around the world. So India, here, New York City, Australia, all all over the place. How many people will sit in seats like ours or in pews... And not use the gifts that God's given them the way that God intended for them to be used. And not just all over the world, but just in America or in Raleigh, North Carolina, or in this church. And what about you? You have gifts that God's given you that you're not using the way that God intended. And today we're going to talk about how to make the most of our gifts. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in a passage of Scripture towards the back of the New Testament. It's 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to just look at two verses today. Simple message in two verses, verses 10 and 11. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there to 1 Peter chapter 4, looking at verses 10 and 11 together and just telling you kind of what's happening here in this. Even though this is a different book than we looked at last week, last week we were in the book of Ephesians, this is really a continuation of last week's message. Peter's writing to a group of people that uh, lived about 30 years after Jesus has died. And so after Jesus ascended into heaven, some of these people have never even seen Jesus, never seen Jesus walk on water, never seen Jesus do miracles, never seen him heal blind eyes, didn't see him die on the cross. But they're like us. But they love him. And they want to walk according to his plan for their life. They want to walk according to his purposes. And you know what's happening with this specific group of believers is they're being persecuted, something we haven't experienced in America really. Maybe it'll happen. But the reason why they were being persecuted is because the government... Uh, there was a guy named Nero who was in charge. And Nero had a lust for building. So bad that he wanted to burn stuff down that existed. So he burned down Rome so he could rebuild it. And he would get credit. And people got mad that, he, that Rome burned down. And so then he blamed it on Christians. Because Christians are those narrow-minded people. And they weren't understood. And so they were an easy target. And so they, all the people were really against the Christians. And they were suffering. And persecution was going to come. And they knew that bad things were happening and about to happen. You could sense it taking place. And Peter tells them in First Peter in chapter 1, he lists all the blessings of being a Christian. He says one of the blessings is suffering. And he continues to write to them. And in chapter 4, he gets to this place where he starts to tell them, Listen, you've lived enough of your life just like the pagans where you've done all the stuff that everybody else in the world does, it's time for you to live differently. And in immediate context of what we're going to read today, he says in verse 7, the very first part of it, the end of all things is near. Now, this book was written in the 60s. Not 1960, the 60s. And he says the end of all things is near. And so now here we are, almost 2,000 years later, uh, maybe you scratch your head and say, you're well, the end of things couldn't be that near. Well, from a New Testament perspective... The end things were near the moment that Jesus Christ put on flesh. When God became human and he put on flesh and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead, the only thing that's stopping Jesus from coming back is God's patience. So you can read all the stuff in the news. Maybe that's the end of the world. Maybe this will be the end of the world. Maybe if that happens and maybe this guy's the Antichrist. Maybe What the Bible tells us is that it's God's patience. He's patient, not willing that any would perish, but he's waiting for the next person to trust Christ, and then the next person to trust Christ, and the next person to surrender to life and bow their knee to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and he just keeps waiting, and maybe you think of people you love, and maybe it's that person, and maybe it's the next person, and so then you just tell them, you want Jesus to come back and keep telling people, because he could come back at any moment. And Peter tells these people, the end is near, he could come back at any moment, so here's what I want you to do. And if you, what we'll read in the next verses is interesting. He doesn't say go do some heroic thing. He doesn't say run and try and survive. He says use your gifts. 
verses 10 and 11 with me. Each one should use whatever gift he has received, he or she has received, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Which means it is true. Each one of us has been given a gift, and that's what we're told to do, knowing that the time is limited. So we talked about last week. Uh, The days are evil. You don't know how much time you have. Redeem the time. Make the most of your moments. What if you knew it was the last day? What if you knew today was your last day? Because Peter's saying here, listen, this is the end. The end is coming, and here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to run and hide and just try to survive. I don't want you to do something miraculous. I want you to be faithful with what God's given you, faithfully administering the grace that God's given you in its various forms through the gifting that he's given you. Be faithful. So you think about it. If you knew that today was your last day, what would you do? If you're a materialist, you may go buy the big thing you've always dreamt of buying. And it doesn't matter what debt, it doesn't matter any of that stuff, you just go buy the thing. If you're a hedonist, someone who lives just for pleasure, maybe you'd indulge yourself in some way. You've always fantasized about indulging yourself. If you're a Christian, wouldn't it make sense that you'd say, like, preach the gospel in such a way that the whole world hears it? One time Martin Luther was asked, if you knew today was your last day, what would you do? Martin Luther, for those of you who don't know, is a reformer in the church. When the church started uh, going, veering off, really, from Scripture, living by tradition, just doing what the, the church leaders said to do, rather than how the Scriptures guide and direct them, um, brought reformation to the church and brought us back to being under the authorities of the Scriptures. And uh, he's one of the guys that's famous for being a part of that. Martin Luther, we're focused on the Lord, focused on uh, God's will, was asked, if you knew today was your last day, what would you do? And he said, I'd plant a tree and I'd pay my taxes. It's kind of odd if you think about it at first. So the world's going to end and you're going to plant a tree? Like who plants a tree when the world's going to end? Who pays their, who's even going to collect the taxes? Martin Luther, what are you talking about? Here's what he was saying. What he meant was that I'm going to be faithful each day that God gives me with whatever task God's given me that day. And so even if it doesn't make sense to plant a tree, knowing the end of the world is if God's given me a tree to plant that day, that's what I'm going to do. In other words, he lives every day like it's his last day. Now, you'd think with Martin Luther, he's like, well, I'm going to invent YouTube, and I'm going to come up with a way so everybody can hear the gospel. And he said, I'm going to be faithful with whatever God's entrusted me with that day. If it's paying my taxes, I'm going to pay my taxes. If it's plant a tree, I'm going to plant a tree. If it's preaching the gospel, I'll preach the gospel. You'd be faithful with whatever God's entrusted you with, and God's entrusted each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ with a gift. We're talking about in this passage of followers of Jesus. That's why he says, you've lived like the pagans long enough. Now, here's the truth. God's given us all gifts. James tells us every good gift comes from above. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, the very fact that you have oxygen is a gift from God. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about unique gifting that God's given each one of us. And so every believer in Jesus Christ has been given a spiritual gift. Every one of us has been given a spiritual gift. Gift, verse 10, I'll read it to you again. It says this, each one should use whatever gift he has received. So it doesn't say if you happen to be one of the lucky ones. Or it doesn't say each one should use whatever gift they may receive. Some of your translations start off with the word as. As each one has been given a gift. Each one of us, as followers of Jesus Christ, has been given a gift. There are no exceptions. Everyone's included. If you've, placed your, if you've bowed your knee to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's gifted you with a special gift, with a spiritual gift. And so I want to ask you this. Those of you who know the answer, what is your gift? And maybe you write it down right now. Just take a moment, pull out your iPad, pull out your phone. If you've got a notepad, maybe write it on the bulletin, some notes from the message anyways. What is your spiritual gift? Will you just jot it down? I'm not going to ask you to turn it in or anything like that. It's for your sake. I want you to write it down. You might be wrong about what you write down. It might not, you might think that you're really good at playing the tuba, and you might be really bad at playing the tuba. But what do you think your gift is? 
And while you're thinking about that, I realize that some of you may be new to Christianity, remember, never heard anything like this before about people having gifts, and I understand natural ability. God takes natural abilities and he uses them as spiritual gifts when by the Spirit, he supernaturally empowers you to use those gifts for the kingdom. It becomes a spiritual gift, even though it's a natural ability. Some of you know about talents, and yeah, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Education, experiences you have, sometimes gifts that are given at the point when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. When you're, some of them are given to you when you're born, some of them are given to you when you're born again. But God uses those things, and the Bible tells us what some of them are. There are two passages in the scripture that give a specific list of gifts in the Bible. Now, some people say there's four. Some people will mention this passage as one of them, 1 Peter chapter 4, but it doesn't really give us a list of gifts. It gives us two categories. He said in verse 11, some are speaking gifts, some are uh, serving gifts. And so that'd be like saying some people are right-handed and some people are left-handed. That's true. That's very true. But it doesn't tell us everything about that person. It doesn't tell us about their uniqueness. It doesn't tell us about their... Abilities and tells really much of anything. Just tells everybody's right-handed or left-handed. Some people are able to use both. So there's that. That's not really a list. Ephesians gives us some are teachers and pastors and uh, evangelists and prophets. Those aren't gifts. Those are offices in the church. But there are two passages that do list the gifts. I'm going to read them both to you. What I want you to do is listen to the differences between the two passages. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 for those of you who take notes. Those are the two places where we see gifts listed. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. Verses 7 through 10. Now to each one, so everyone, every believer, uh, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit the, the message of wisdom. And so you've got a special ability, a special amount of wisdom. Now you can have wisdom and not have the gift of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge. And so you, you know things not everybody knows by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the Spirit. Now every believer in Jesus Christ has faith. You're saved by grace through faith. But some people have a supernatural empowerment, ability to trust God. When it seems like you wouldn't trust God, that they have an ability to trust God. Some faith at the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing. When some people pray, stuff happens. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. And that's not prophecy like they speak with passion. That's prophecy like God is speaking to them and through them. To another, distinguishing between spirits. They know good spirits and evil spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And some people debate about whether that's languages or it's heavenly tongues. And it says, and still to another, interpretation of those tongues. So whether it's translating those languages or whether it's those heavenly tongues that are being spoken. And so there's that. You've got 1 Corinthians. You've got miraculous powers. You've got healing. Um, you, you've, got, you've gotten the gist of the gifts that are there. Maybe that's one of the ones you, you wrote down. Let me read you Romans chapter 12. And notice that these gifts are very different. Romans chapter 12 says this in verses 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, that's giving, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And so here we have these two different lists. Do you notice how different they are? Miraculous powers, healing, encouragement. Mercy, leadership. Here's what we learn from that. If nothing else, neither one of those lists is exhaustive. Neither list tells us all the gifts that there are. And so the tragedy for some that have grown up in church is you've heard these lists and maybe you take a test and the test tries to fit you into just gifts that are listed in the passages of Scripture. Um, it doesn't list a lot of things. For instance... Did you see anything about musical abilities in either one of those passages? But we've already been blessed by multiple people in our church that have used their musical abilities to lead us all before the throne of God today. What about, I had a guy come up to me after the first service and say, is poetry a spiritual gift? I said, it can be. I said, writing? Think about how many of you have been blessed in your spiritual journey by somebody writing. Maybe you've read a, a book or something that's catalyzed you in your spiritual journey, or you've read something that's been written down. Oh, by the way, we're looking at the Word today, the written Word of God. Uh, those weren't mentioned. Writing wasn't mentioned. Crafts isn't mentioned. Do you know that crafts is a gift? God's building some important stuff in the book of Exodus. And you know what he says in Exodus chapter 35? He says this, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen... I don't know, Bazalel, Bazalel, gave it a shot. I didn't even go for it, first service. Bazalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And look at verse 31. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge, and all kinds of crafts. 
So you've got all kinds of things that are in Scripture that aren't in those passages in 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12. And you've got all things, kinds of things that aren't in Scripture because here's what I want you to know about the gifts you've been given. It's unique. It's unique to you. And what we really have in Scripture are some examples and some categories. Some are speaking, you use your mouth for them, and some are serving, and so you do deeds to express them. But each one has been given one. And the First Corinthians passage talks about that and then goes on to talk about how we're all part of the body, and God uses each one. Not everybody's an eye, not everybody's an ear, not everybody's a hand, but everybody's got a role, everybody's got a function, everybody's necessary. So what's yours? What did you write down? Because each one of us has been given a unique gift. Back to the first Peter passage, he says it like this. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace. The word for grace and the word for gift come from the same word in its various forms. There are various forms. The New American Standard version of the Bible says it like this. Each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold Grace of God. I love the New Living Translation, how they say this verse. It says, God has given gifts to each one from his great variety of spiritual gifts. There are a manifold amount. There is a a bunch of different. There are various, a great variety of gifts. What is yours? Because each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of you is unique. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that you're God's workmanship. That's a work of art. The Greek word is poiema. He gives us the picture of God weaving together a mosaic to make a picture. And he takes all the different pieces, all the different experiences in life, all the different education you've had, your natural abilities, some supernatural abilities. Each one has a unique picture that's being painted or a palette uh, of paint. And it would be almost like you could take these things that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 or in Romans 12, and those are primary colors on the palette that God has. And he's doing a work of art in you. He's painting a picture, but he shades them differently, and he blends the colors differently for each person. And it's a dynamic painting. He's changing it continually. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says it like this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so the good works he has for Mike to do are different than the good works he has for me to do, than he has for Alan to do, than he has for Shannon to do, than he has for you to do, than he has for you to do. That Everybody's got different good works that he planned. They're unique for each of us. And if you don't believe that, just think about how unique each person is. We're all individuals. You think about the different unique talents that are out there. I was reading about that a little bit this week. I read about uh, one guy. He was what they call an acquired savant. I don't know if you know what a savant is. Uh, Oftentimes they'll have unique capabilities and specific things. Um, Some uh, able to see incredible details. I read that some people that are savants are able to look at You could show them a picture of New York City and then have them turn around and they could draw New York City in exact detail of what they just saw. Some people have unique math capabilities. I was reading about a specific guy that was called an acquired savant because he got hit in the head with a baseball, had a brain injury, had a headache for about a year, and after a year he ended up realizing he had these incredible capabilities with a calendar. And you could ask him, how many Mondays were there in 1980? And he could tell you. Unique talent. So uh, another guy that had the unique talent of being able to stretch his skin incredibly, and we brought you a picture to show you this. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. I've never seen that before. That's unique. Uh, If you want to see a lot of unique talents, read the Guinness Book of World Records. I saw one guy in the Guinness Book of World Records uh, had, I saw multiple of these, and one of them was a guy who was being drugged by a horse while he was on fire. I don't know if that's a talent or if that's crazy, but that that was happening. There's a, a record for that. Another guy that I saw, this is a talent, he actually has a record for pulling the most weight with his eyelids. And so his bottom there was stuff strapped to his bottom eyelids, and there was all these people on a bike, and he was pulling them. And I thought, I don't have that talent, and I'm not interested. <laughs> we don't all have the same. We don't all have the same amount of talent. We don't all have the same talent. And it's not all for the, the same outcome. It's ultimately for the same goal, but he's got unique opportunities for each one of us because here's something else I want you to know. Not only do you have, you all have one, you all have a unique one, But here's something I've never heard taught on before. The gift that you have is dynamic, meaning not like it's awesome. What I mean by dynamic is this. It's not static. It can change. And it can change for different. We talked about last week, kairos, seasons of life. And so in a given season, you may have one gift. In another given season of life, you may have another gift. So maybe you took a test that told you your spiritual gifts like 15 years ago. That might not be your spiritual gift now. They change. And if you don't believe that's true, look at the scriptures. You look at a parable in Matthew chapter 25. 
And it's a parable of the talents, which is actually, he's talking about money stewardship there, but it's the same principle. And what happens is that it's a parable is a spiritual truth. Uh, it's a made-up story that tells a spiritual truth about God. And the, and the image in the passage is that God would be the one that's the giver of the money. And so he gives one guy five talents, which is amounts of money. He gives the next guy two. He gives the next guy one. Why is that? Is God running out of money as he's giving it away here? No. He doesn't give everybody the same. What happens in that story is the guy who has five talents and the guy who has two talents are both faithful. The guy who has one talent is not faithful. He just hides it. Kind of like playing in the bag while the gift is out there. And then when the master, God, comes back to call people to account, he takes away the guy that has one talent and he gives it to the guy who has five. It's dynamic. Maybe you've heard this statement before. To whom much is given, much is... But in Matthew chapter 25, it says this in verse 29. It's the, the point of the parable. For everyone who has will be given more. And he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has. Wait, I thought he didn't have. No, he has little. It will be taken from him. This isn't about some political, you know, financial structure that needs to take place. It's talking about God's economy. This is how God works. If you're not faithful with what you have, he's going to take that away. If you are faithful, he'll give you more. So that means, you know what that means? That means they change. They change throughout time. And they change throughout opportunity. Look at Peter when he's sent out by Jesus and the 72 other followers of Jesus go out and they perform miracles and cast out demons. Do you think they ever had performed miracles before? Peter didn't grow up performing miracles. He didn't grow up casting out demons. He didn't get in a fight with his brother and say, you know, Legion be gone. You know, it didn't happen. He was empowered for that moment, and God will empower you for the opportunity that's before you in your season of life. So the gifts are dynamic, which should be incredibly encouraging for some of you who think, when you look at your, what you wrote down, and uh, maybe you think, you know, I've got, the, I've got a gift that's not as big a deal, you know, you know Dan Ryan's got evangelism, and, and so-and-so, Joe Bob's got teaching, and somebody else has leadership, and Susie's got, you know, encouragement, and all I got is crafts. Pastor, all I am is crafts, man. What am I supposed to do with crafts? You know? Well, you use it. That's what you do. You use the gift that God's given you and the opportunity that he's given you, and then maybe he'll give you more. You be faithful what you have. Because think about who we're talking about here with God. He created the world out of nothing. And you start tracing through the scriptures what he does. He makes mankind out of dust. He improves upon mankind. He makes woman out of the rib. So it keeps getting better, right? We go through, skim through, start going through the Bible. Think about that. Think about how when God takes a little something and he does something amazing with it. You get to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. What about that little boy when his mom packed his lunch that day? Have you ever thought about this? He's given five loaves and two fish. They didn't have refrigeration then. And I try and make myself a kid like in that time period and think about if I was a 12-year-old and my mom gave me a sack lunch and we have no refrigerator at school and I'm putting it in my backpack or my satchel or whatever they carried around at that time. You want me to carry anchovies all day, mom? Really? Like I'm not happy about this lunch that I've been given. I'm going to smell like fish. Somebody's going to beat me up. Like this is, I don't want this lunch. All you've given me is crafts. But then what does God do with that lunch? Not only does he feed 5,000 people, but generation after generation, he's taught millions of people that you offer what you have and God takes it and he can do beyond what you'd ever imagine. So what's your gift? What'd you write down? You've been uniquely gifted. You've been dynamically gifted. And every gift has a use. Notice that in our passage. Not only does everyone have a gift, but every gift has a use, and it's a common use. Peter's using general terms in this passage. He says each one, everybody, no exclusions, each one should use whatever gift. And there's a variety of them. He's going to say that in just a minute. Whatever gift you've been given, crafts, teaching, leadership, miraculous powers, whatever he has given you to serve others. So your gift is not about you. Let that sink in. Because it'll change the way a lot of us think about our gifts. Your gift isn't to build up your self-esteem. Your gift isn't to build up your bank account. Your gift isn't to make you famous. It's not to make you popular. It's not to make you liked. Your gift is not God's affirmation of his love in your life. In fact, there is a gift that God gives that affirms his love. It was the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And he gave that for everybody. And so if you have the gift of fill in the blank with whatever one we think is awesome, you're the encourager, 
It's not that you just, when you encourage people, people leave changed and, and you're so awesome because God really loves you. No, God loves you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. Now, the gift that you've been given, the spiritual gift, the unique one for you, whatever it is, that's teaching, serving, whether it's miraculous, whether it's behind the scenes, whatever it is, whatever gift you've been given, verse 10, use it. So you're supposed to use it. Every gift has a use. For what? To serve other people, not yourself. So are you doing that? Because then the next words are interesting. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Faithfully administering. So if you've been given a gift, God's entrusted you with something. It's not yours because he can take it away and give you more of it. God's the giver. Then you are what the Bible calls a steward. In fact, that's the word that's used here for administering. It's the word oikonomos. It means to steward. It's house manager or the two different words, oikonomos, that are being used there. And here's translated administering, stewarding, having stewardship over. Now, I understand. Some of you church people have been around church and talk about stewardship. That guy's about to ask for money. No, we're not talking about money today. We will talk about money in this series. But that's not what it's talking about today. In fact, if you read the Bible, the whole Bible's about stewardship. Verse 1, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means it's all his. Everything after that, we are stewards of, including oxygen. You see uh, Paul talk about in uh, 1 Corinthians, we don't have time to go there, but in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how he's been entrusted with the gospel and how if he only preaches the gospel uh, when he's given an opportunity, when he's compelled to, that he's just, in, he's just just being faithful with the trust that he's been given. But if he does it voluntarily whenever he has the opportunity, like just all the time trying to preach the gospel, then he's going to give him a reward for it. He says, the trust has been given to me. See, what happens for whatever trust you've been given, time, gifting, money, your life, all of it, is that God wants one thing, your faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says it like this, that each one of us, if we've been given a trust, it's required that those who've been given a trust must prove fantastic at using it, faithful. Are you being faithful with what you've been given? And what have you been given? Because the first thing you've got to do is you've got to know what it is that you've been entrusted with. What is the gift? And I'll tell you, one of the primary roles, primary functions of a church, not just this church, but any church. So whether you, if you're watching online or maybe you're a guest here today, you're checking this out. Uh, any church, one of the primary roles of the church is to help believers find their gifting gifts, find out what it is, and then use that ultimately for God's purposes and what God intended for it to be used for. In, in your life. And you know what his purposes are? To make disciples. And so that means telling lost people about Jesus and then people that know Jesus, building them up until they're mature in Christ. And so how is he going to use your gifting to do that very thing? And what is that thing? The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 4. As he gave some to be apostles, and talk about how this isn't a list of gifts, these are offices. Some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And so these are roles in the church. And here's what they do, to prepare God's people for works of service. So those people aren't the ones that are supposed to do the works of service, but to prepare God's people to do works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So it's not the pastors or the teachers or the evangelists or the prophets' job to be building up the body, to do all, or to be doing the works of service and building up the body. No, it's the body's job, but they're supposed to then prepare. So how does the church do that? We're going to help you discover your gifts. One of the things we do today, if you look in your worship program on the back page, there's a test we're going to give you. Now, I can make fun of tests. Here's one of the things I don't like about tests. You're smarter than a test. I know that you're smarter than a test. They're going to ask you questions like this. Um, In this situation, what would you like to do most? Lead, teach, encourage. Oh, if you want a certain gift to come out as a result, you can make it come out. But the test that we're giving you is an opportunity to be a launch pad for a conversation. So John Cullen, our executive pastor, one of our pastors here at this church, has worked with this test and uh, knows this test well, and, he's, and we're providing it for you. It says it's free in the worship program. It's not free. The church is paying for it so that you can use it because we want you to know your gifting. And so what we've done also is you received an e-group study this week. If you're signed up for that, if you're not, we can get one for you. Um, but the e-group studies all went out, and they want every group to be talking about these tests and the results of these tests. And so we're providing these tests for you. Maybe you took one a long time ago. Take it again. They're dynamic. So this can be a launch pad for you to converse with one another because then the church, which isn't just the pastors and the evangelists and the prophets, um, the church is all the people. So if you really want to know your spiritual gifts, you don't just need a test. 
What you need to do, and so if you're listening online or you're here as a guest, it might not be this church, but what you need to do is get connected to a church, live a transparent life with the people in that church, and then they can affirm or correct your giftings. So that doesn't mean you just go attend a church. It doesn't mean you show up every week. What I'm talking about when I say get connected is you've got to be in a relationship with other people. And we're going to talk more about that next week. We've got stewards our relationships. But you have to be connected with other people and live a transparent life. And so that means tell people the good stuff, tell people the bad stuff. That means uh, your wins, your losses. That means the things you're good at, the things you're not good at, experiences that you had, experiences you're having. You pray for one another. You carry each other's burdens. And as that's happening, what you do is you start to realize these people aren't just trying to be mean to me. So if, they, if you think you're good at playing the tuba and you're not good at playing the tuba and someone says, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that anymore. Everyone leaves when you start playing. You realize they're not being a jerk. Because the best thing they can do for you is to get you to stop doing the thing that you think you're good at, that you're not good at, so you can get to the spot where God actually wants you. So you can find your sweet spot. Because you know that every Christian has a sweet spot? You know what a sweet spot is? Uh, you've heard of it like on a tennis racket? If you play tennis or golf, baseball, bat, whatever, different sports equipment, they all have, they've all been engineered. So when the ball hits a certain spot, it's just, it's just right. Well, God's made you uniquely with a certain gifting. And your sweet spot is when you're gifting and God's calling a line. And one of the goals of the church, one of the functions we have is to get everybody to that spot so that everybody can be built up, that Ephesians 4 passage, and functioning in your sweet spot and doing the works of service that God's prepared for you from the beginning of time, Ephesians chapter 2, because you're his workmanship, he's made you this way, and he's got a calling for your life. When those line up, that's where he wants you at. And there are a lot of people in our church that have found their sweet spot. Very, and I was thinking through some of them this week, um, just even being in this service, we talked about SYU. Uh, one couple, I think one of the gifts that wasn't listed in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but you've heard as a gift before, hospitality. There's a couple in our church, uh, Annie and Kim Moore. We've been in group with them before. Have incredible gifts of hospitality. They host a group now. Um, they, they lead a group and they use that gift in that way. But also their kairos, their stage of life, their season of life, is they've got teenagers. And so one of the things they recognize with our SYU is that people need to get connected. And the kids need community too. They need relationships with each other. So they open their home, I think it's once a month on Friday nights, and have all the kids over their house, and they're hospitable to them. They're using their gift. Guess what? That's their sweet spot. One of the first people I thought of when I was thinking through this was Kim Charette, a friend of mine, started a ministry uh, called Hope Reigns, a strategic partner of our church, through our church. Um, and that's a ministry with horses. We don't have horses walking around on Sunday morning at the church, if you didn't notice. You probably would have noticed if we had that, but we don't have that. But she still has got a whole bunch of people in our church that are serving there. It's through the church. It's not in the church. It's through the church. Um, and what happened with Kim is her story, a difficult background. God used horses in her, her life as a therapeutic thing. So she starts this ministry where a bunch of people come and uh, their little kids, or sometimes older kids, going through divorce, cancer treatments, difficult things in life. And God uses the horses in a therapeutic way, ultimately as a vein, as a conduit, as a vessel to get them to Jesus Christ because Kim loves the gospel. And so he's using how he's made her, experiences that she's had, interests that she has, gifting that she has, and love for the God. It's where she's gotten to her sweet spot. Think about one guy. It's a funny story. He's a friend of mine. He's a Detroit Lions fan. There aren't a lot of them in our church or in the world, um, but I'm one. And uh, his name's Richard Deary. Uh, you've seen him out front. Maybe last week he had his jersey on. Probably didn't have his jersey on today. That's just my guess because we lost. But anyway, um, he uh, went. I remember why he went to celebrate recovery. He went to celebrate recovery, and he didn't think he had the stuff because he thought, well, that's for people that do drugs, and he doesn't do drugs. And uh, he went there, but he thought, I want just community. I want people that are transparent, vulnerable to each other. So he went to celebrate recovery uh, to be there. And ended up realizing God started working on his stuff, his pride, and some of his junk in his life. And now he's a leader in Celebrate Recovery. He found his sweet spot. Going to, you just step and walk in by faith, live by faith, get your sweet spot. There's one guy I talked about on the first service. I haven't seen him yet this morning. He's on our tech team. Uh, his name's Jeff Macko. Jeff Macko is a genius. Those of you who don't know him, he is brilliant with like all things technical. Like I don't even understand. He might as well be talking in binary. I don't even know what he's saying when he starts telling me stuff. But this is the guy, he shows up at hacker conventions. Like people prepare for these things. He shows up and wins. And so he goes to the stuff, does this. He's on our tech team. Do you know that being a portable church, we have tech problems every week? A lot of us don't realize that. Like just the words pop up on the screen and stuff's there and the sound comes through the speakers and... That's because someone else is serving you because he's doing, you know, we get a problem on the tech team and then everybody tries to fix it, different people try to fix it, and then we can't figure it out. Call in Maco. Maco come decodes and rewrite. I don't know what he's doing, but he's getting, and it works. 
And words pop up on the screen. He's in a sweet spot. Using his gifting to connect people to Jesus for life change. And there's all kinds of people that do that. There's a guy in our church. He'd be mad at me if I told you his name. Uh, He owns a building company. He goes around and helps people fix their houses. Serving others. Not getting paid for it. Just serving other people. What about you? What would you write down on your paper? Is that, are you, have you aligned it with God's calling in your life? Because you never know how God's going to use that. I was talking to a guy this week, uh, Bob Black, who knows he's going to die. He's a member of our church. You can be praying for him, praying for his family. His wife's name's Beth. His son, Matthew, goes to our church. And his wife, uh, Elizabeth, their kids. Um, it's not often that, so, you know, a lot of times when people die, they just, it just happens. Bob knows he's dying. And we were actually meeting to talk about his funeral. So I'm sitting in his living room. And we're just talking, though, after a while. He starts sharing stories. And he's talking to me about when he was 18 years old, he was in the Navy, and he told me about a guy that was the chaplain there named Bob Bedingfield. And Bob Black was not a believer in Jesus. He said that the way he described his life is he said, I was just too cool for everything. I was too cool for God. I was too cool for circumstances, too cool for everything. But this guy was a good speaker. He said he was so good, he actually charged money for people to come listen. It was like 25 cents. You come listen. I thought, the guy was that good? Like, he charged money and people still showed up? Wow. So he said, I'd go and listen. But because the guy was a good speaker, it wasn't enough for Bob to surrender his life to Jesus Christ. I mean, go and listen to somebody talk, but it doesn't mean you're going to surrender your life to Jesus because somebody's good at talking. He said, but one day I was sitting at lunch with this guy. And uh, Benningfield, Bob Benningfield, looked across the table at Bob Black and said, do you want to be baptized? And Bob Black said, what is that? He didn't know what baptism was. And he said, well, you come up front, you tell everybody that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and then he dunks you, and, and I'll dunk you in water, and you come up out of the water. And he said, uh, do you want to do that? And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea. I'll think about that. Then he said to me, so this is like more than 40 years later, sitting in his living room, knowing he's going to die in a few days, he said, Scott, I didn't think about that. I just told that guy that. And he said, but that was the first guy that ever shared the gospel with me. He's using his gift, evangelism. And then he said to me, the guy who knows he's going to walk into eternity in a few days, he says, Scott, when I get to heaven, one of the first people I'm going to go find is Bob Benningfield. I'm going to wrap my arms around and hug him because he shared the gospel with me. Now, if you're Bob Benningfield, you're up in heaven. You're praising Jesus. You have no idea that Bob Black ever trusted Christ. What a surprise attack it's going to be when he wraps his arms around Bob Benningfield. You have no idea how God's going to use your gifts. You just be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Every one of you that's a believer in Jesus has a unique gift. Every gift has a use. And every use has a goal. And the goal is the same for every use. And the goal is God's glory. That was what verse 11 was all about. And I'll just read you the doxology at the end of verse 11 and we'll wrap up. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The gift isn't for you, so you don't get the glory and you don't get the credit. Can you imagine a time where you step back and you take joy? I mean, we've all been burned before where somebody takes your idea, says your words, does something, and you think, I should be getting credit for that. There's going to come a time where we, t- we step back and go, no, God gets the credit. How freeing is that? All I have to do is be faithful. Just be faithful with whatever's before me. Faithful with this right now. And God gets the credit. And let's put these pieces together. Can you imagine if this actually happened? Every Christian, or at least everyone in this church, use their gift, not for their sake, but for the sake of others, so that God will receive glory. Try and imagine what that would do. Like, think about where, and if everybody in this body of Christ did that, just this church, this local manifestation of God's church, if everybody in this church did it, in a year from now, we'd have a really strong church. But think about what would it do in five years? Imagine five years from now, because all of us know people that go to different churches, right? And let's be real gut-level honest, by the way. Let's talk about the state of reality of what, what it is now in this church and every church. You've heard of the 80-20 rule, where 20% of the people do 80% of the work? That's not true. It's about 20% of the people do about 95% of the work, and oftentimes that's just enough to be able to pull off a service so everybody else can come and take. Okay, that's reality for this church, for many churches, for most churches. Imagine if... Every, each one, used whatever gift they, were, they had been given, faithfully administering that gift for the sake of other people so that they would be served, that's the use, and God would receive the glory. Can you imagine what would happen? And not just a year from now, we'd have a strong church. Five years from now, each one of us know people in different churches, right? And so it would be contagious, and people would start to catch it, almost like the flu, like we started going, but a good flu. And then so then other people in other churches would be like, man, do you know what that church is like? Because everybody's serving. And so rather than hopping from their church to ours, instead of their church, they started saying, I'm going to use my gifting, and my gifting is crafts. 
or my gifting is leadership, or my gifting is, and so we're going to find an expression, a way to do that within this church body, and so then everybody in that church body starts doing it, everybody in another church body starts doing it, so everybody at Providence is doing it, everybody at Summit's doing it, everybody at Church of the Apostles is doing it, everybody at Journey Church is doing it, everybody at Colonial's doing it, everybody at Hope's doing it, everybody at all these different churches using all their gifts, you know what happened? That our light would shine in this city in such a way that even non-believers would see the way we're using our giftedness and they would glorify our Father who's in heaven. And Raleigh would become a city on a hill. God's vision would be fulfilled. As each one's using their gift to reach lost people and build up the body of Christ until people become mature in Christ. And you know what the great news is? That can happen and you get to decide. Or, like my three-year-old daughter, you can kind of go off and do your own. I mean, have fun playing with the bag and doing your own thing. Well, God's prepared a gift for you to be used for his purposes. And we want to help you do that. We provided you the test. I've mentioned the test there. Hopefully you'll talk about that with your e-group this week. When you leave today, there's some tables out there, about uh, three or four tables, opportunities for you to serve in this church. If you're interested in doing that, that'd be great. Maybe you have a gift you think, well, I don't know if it would even work here. You should ask yourself, whatever church you're at, this church, you're watching online, any church, do I have an opportunity at my church or through my church, might not be on Sunday morning, or through my church, to use the gifts that God's given me. Let me say something to you as your pastor at this church. It's not like we're 150 years old, and we just, this is how we do it, and this is how it's always been done. We're like, we're seven, almost eight years old as a church. Maybe you have a gift that we've never even heard of. Well, let's try it out. Let's see how we, let's see how it can be used to get you in your sweet spot. We've got multiple pastors who'd love to meet with you, talk with you. you. Just write it on your connection card. I want to meet with a pastor. I think this might be my gift. Maybe you're like the guy I talked to after the first service. Is it poetry? Can po- yeah, God can use that. What is your gift? And are you going to use it? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Um, you'd give us gifts. How crazy is that? You'd save us, which we don't deserve. And then you'd use us. God, please use us. Use each one of my friends that are here tonight, today, and those that will listen online, people I don't even know. Will you use each one of us? Use people at different churches in this city and reach the city for your son Jesus. God, help us to be used beyond our abilities so that your spirit, it's clear that it's a spiritual gift. Take our natural abilities and supernaturally empower them. Take the gifts that you've given us at the point of salvation and use them. God, I pray you do amazing things. You'd heal people. You'd change people. You'd teach people. You'd uh, save people. God, that you'd do amazing works through all the people that are hearing these words. And God, will you start a work today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.